Hi everyone, I'm Dave Sattler, one of the pastors here at North Shore Alliance Church, continuing our post-Easter series, After Resurrection. Now what? The God of the Christian story is a miracle-working God, and the resurrection of Jesus proves it. Yet, as Brendan explored in his sermon last week, belief in miracles flies in the face of our modern naturalistic worldview, which believes this physical world is all there is. And belief in miracles, or a God who performs them, becomes a tough sell to those who hold to a strictly scientific view of the cosmos. The New Testament writers, however, clearly view the Easter story as the miraculous death of the old creation and the beginning of the new. It's why Paul makes this triumphant statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I will attempt to present a biblical argument for how the resurrection of Jesus both inaugurates, ushers in, and guarantees, like a down payment on a full payment to come, God's new creation. Back in the summer of 1985, when I was 16, I attended a youth conference in Anaheim, California. Great place for a week away with my church youth group. I don't remember much about the conference, but I do remember how God clearly spoke to me and what God did in my life through that conference. Through the teaching, the Lord said, if you surrender your heart to me, I will make you new. I will transform you. And guess what? God did exactly what he said he'd do. I came back a new person. And two years later at another conference with a different church youth group in an entirely different time and location, winter in Regina, Saskatchewan, God spoke a similar message to me. And guess I needed it twice. And God performed an even deeper worker work in me. Of course, these two formative experiences were all part of God working out his call in my life to pastoral ministry, of which we celebrate today my 30th anniversary as an Alliance pastor. It all began May 15th, 1992. My life has been powerfully altered by Jesus. I went from a quiet, timid, lost-in-himself teenager to an open, passionate confident leader. And this was entirely the work of God in me, his new creation. And I know God's not done with me yet. I look forward to more of his fresh work in my life here on earth and in eternity in the new heaven and new earth. The concept of the resurrection of the body has been included in virtually all the Christian creeds from their very inception. For Christian salvation does not mean escape from this body. The immortality of the soul disconnected from the physical body is a Greek idea, not a Christian one. When we began our series on death and the afterlife a few weeks back, Jeremy said, in the new creation, we become fully human. When we place our trust in Jesus, we receive the gift of eternal life. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, Those who are in Christ shall also be raised from the dead with the redeemed body in the new creation. 
Well, let's take a look at our text for today, which is John chapter 20. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, and we're going to be reading the resurrection story, part of it, John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Let's begin with John 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the resurrected Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. So God, I ask now that you would come and speak to us from your word. We thank you for this incredible story of the resurrection of Jesus, God the Son, which is the game changer of history. Lord, I ask that you would come now and move me out of the way and come and speak to us by your spirit. God, we are hungry to hear from you. Would you give us hearts and ears to receive from you? even now, in Jesus' name, amen. Early in the morning, Mary Magdalene rushes off to the cemetery. Like any good Jewish person, she's concerned her loved one receives a proper burial. When Jesus died, Sabbath was looming and they'd been pressed for time, and so Mary likely planned to continue preparing Jesus' body for entombment. But, When she looks at the place where Jesus had been laid, to her bewilderment, she sees instead two angels. And Mary begins to cry. They have taken my Lord away, she says, and I don't know where they've put him. Mary then wheels around to see another person standing there. Perhaps it's her tears that blur her vision. Or is there something different about his appearance that obscures his identity? Or... Does she not recognize him because she's looking for a corpse and now sees a living, breathing, walking, talking human? Regardless, Mary mistakes Jesus for the gardener, the only other person likely to visit at such an early hour. In one sense, she's totally off. In another, Mary is bang on. For my money, I believe Mary's onto something in thinking that Jesus is the gardener. Consider Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. God is a gardener, it would seem. And God even passes the role of gardener on to humanity. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, it says in Genesis 2, verse 15. Gardening appears to be one of the first human professions. But pre-fall, there can't have been any back pain or knee or quad pain associated with gardening, right? And certainly no weeds or dandelions to contend with. And the dirt never smelled too bad, I'm sure. Here's the point. While the old creation is marred by the sin of humanity, the resurrected Jesus ushers in the new creation. And here's the biblical picture. To put God's creation back in order, gardener Jesus is here to uproot the weeds and dandelions and replace them with beautiful tulips and daffodils. Mary, hearing Jesus utter her name, is the clincher. She finally recognizes it's the Lord. And the response of Jesus is interesting. Do not hold on to me, he says. This points to the fact that how humanity relates to God will be different from here on out. Presence of the resurrected Jesus marks a new day. Things will not return to status quo. Clue to the changes comes in these incredible next words of our Lord. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, through Jesus we are now invited into a new and more intimate relationship with God the Father. As N.T. Wright suggests, something has altered decisively. Something has been achieved. A new relationship has sprung to life like a sudden spring flower. The disciples are welcomed into a new world, a world where they can know God the way Jesus knew God and where they can be intimate children with their father. And having witnessed firsthand, Mary becomes an apostle to the future apostles, enlivened. She goes to the others and testifies the good news. I have seen the resurrected Lord. Well, it's time to land the plane now on a few application points. The first I'd like to offer is this. In Jesus, the whole world is being made new. Yet, somehow I grew up with the idea that the earth and all that's in it is disposable. Perhaps you did too. And this phrase floated around my childhood church. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. That's bad theology. When the biblical narrative, rather interestingly, both starts and ends with the beginning, a new creation. Genesis 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then toward the end, near the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, the Apostle John sees in his vision a new heaven and a new earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jesus, who is seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. One might find it surprising 
that the new heavens and new earth sound a lot like a garden city full of light and abundant life. That's why Eugene Peterson quips, the revelation of God does not begin with a material universe and a flesh and blood Jesus and then working itself up through the grades finally graduate into ether and angels and ideas. The Bible describes the new creation not as some ethereal escape to a world void of people or activity, a sort of disembodied state of being. No, for those who are in Christ, the new heaven and new earth will be a place to fully and intimately engage with God, with fellow humanity, and indeed with all creation in a beautiful way we can't quite fully grasp or imagine this side of eternity. Definitely, there's a lot to look forward to in a whole world, new world being made new. Second application point I want to make today is this, that in Jesus, our bodies are being made new. There's perhaps another aspect to that peculiar interchange between Jesus and Mary back in our story. When Jesus says, do not hold on to me, maybe what he is really suggesting is this. Things are different now. Don't interact with me in the way you used to. This isn't just me resuscitated. Far more, this is me resurrected. And this resurrected body is what you need also, Mary, and what I will give you one day if you trust in me. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus, the author of life, says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And as Brendan said last week in his sermon, Jesus' healing power begins to bring about the restoration of our true humanity. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the disease and isolation is gone, evil is cast out. The older I get, the more aware I become of my need for a new body. And as my laundry list of health issues continues to grow, I am more and more aware, keenly, of my own brokenness, and I am more and more dependent on God for healing. Still, this idea exists in our culture that we can somehow make ourselves better through miracle diets or vitamins, through obsessing about personal fitness, or engaging in all sorts of therapies. Now, don't get me wrong, these are not bad practices, but they are no substitute for the healing only Jesus offers. And for me, the sobering realization mounts, Sattler, tiger bomb just won't cut it anymore. You can't make yourself any better by your own efforts. But God can. Truthfully, there is a tendency for us to underestimate both our need for a new body and God's ability to deliver it. I don't need God to simply keep my old life going. Resurrection is not spiritual CPR. It's more than a mere resuscitation of our old life. What the God of the Christian story offers is resurrection to new life. And there is no resurrection to new life without first a death to the old. It's why Jesus came to earth. It's what he suffered for and died and the purpose for which he was raised from the dead, to offer all humanity something profoundly new. May we put our trust in Jesus for healing of our broken bodies and for resurrection 
to new life, something only God can bring. Third application point is this. In Jesus, we get a glimpse of what's to come. As I noted earlier, the resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee of the new creation, a sort of down payment on a full payment yet to come. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This biblical concept of first, tru- first fruits helps us understand one of the important aspects of eschatology, which is a big theological word, eschatology, for the study of the final destiny of creation or the study of end times. Simply put, the Bible often refers to the already but not yet work of God. God's work in humanity and all creation is seen in our world today. Yet, we still live in a world contested for and affected by sin. All is not fully right yet. And there will come a day when Christ returns, when all that is wrong with the world will be made right. This is the Christian hope. Still, one could say that for Christ followers today, life on earth contains a glimpse of our future resurrected life. Well, because of Jesus' transforming work, I may be a mere shadow of my former self here on earth. I am also, because of Jesus, a glimpse of my future resurrected self. Have you seen it? In the community of Christ followers, the church, in all its beauty and mess, we catch glimpses of eternity. Not yet perfect, but these glimpses give us a window into the new creation. And over the years, I've witnessed Jesus' resurrection power touch many, setting free those once in slavery to addiction, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, power. Others I have seen with God's help conquer all sorts of fear, mental, emotional, relational fears, and be set free. Still others I have seen find refuge, a home, even a family, in the community of the church when they could not find it anywhere else. In Jesus, we experience, when we experience deep love together with people we would never otherwise associate with, in Jesus, in the beauty of intimacy, beauty and intimacy of worshiping Jesus together, in serving together on the mission of Jesus in our city and world, all of those are ways that we get to experience in real time glimpses of what's to come. And it whets our appetites for eternity. Fourth and final application point is this. In Jesus, there's always reason for hope. Another surprising aspect of the resurrection story is the fact that Jesus still carries the wounds of his crucifixion, even in his resurrected state. Later in John 20, it says, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put them in my side. Stop doubting and believe. After touching Jesus' scars, Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. 
And maybe we too will carry scars with us into eternity. And the scars we bear may serve as evidence, not of past shame, but of hope. That our pain in this life is real and part of us, but at the same time, our pain need not define us. For the God of the Christian story is in the business of redeeming our pain. Famous for The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, 20th century author J.R. Tolkien coined a phrase or a term, catastrophe," that shapes the plot of most of his books. A catastrophe is a sudden turn in fortune from a seemingly impossible situation to an unforeseen victory, usually ushered in by grace rather than heroic effort. At the end of The Lord of the Rings, Hobbit Frodo fails in his impossible quest to dispose of the evil ring and instead claims it for himself. At this moment, however, Gollum suddenly appears, steals the ring, and in his ecstatic gloating, Gollum falls into the fire with the ring. And the ring is destroyed. And Middle-earth is saved, ultimately not through effort of its own, but through a grace alien to itself. And this is the message also of the Christian story. The God of the universe loved creation so much, he came to earth in the person of God the Son, Jesus. Then, just when all seemed lost and Jesus hung dead on a cross, God, by his grace, raised Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death and all that is wrong with creation. I mentioned at the outset, that the resurrection of Jesus inaugurates or ushers in a whole new way of thinking, a brand new realm of possibility. And as the first Christ followers molded over, a belief was planted in their hearts. If Jesus could come back from death in Jesus and through relationship with him, there is an ultimate way back for all humanity and all creation. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Friends of North Shore Alliance Church, in Jesus, no damaged relationship or marriage, no sickness or mental health, No sinful habit, no grievous transgression or obsession, no life setback is beyond God's ability to redeem. The truth is, God is bigger than every one of life's greatest obstacles. And may this challenge our sense of self-sufficiency or our tendency to exhaust all our own resources to fix things before we ever call upon Jesus. The Christian story is predicated upon belief in miracles. In Jesus, the reality of the new creation offers hope in every situation that God can and may just work a miracle. I've seen it happen, and I hold on to it because I know it to be true. With Jesus in the picture, there is always reason for hope, no matter the circumstance. Amen. Let's pray together. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the reality of the resurrection 
and the promise of the new creation. God, even in the quietness of this moment, together we bring before you, Lord, the situations and the setbacks in our lives where we are feeling hopeless. God, we offer up to you our broken relationships. We offer up to you our broken bodies. And God, we look to you, a miracle-working God. We call upon you for help and for strength. God, we thank you for your presence. And I pray even now, Spirit of the living God, that you would infuse hope through Jesus into the hearts and lives of everyone who's listening here today. God, we thank you that with you in the picture, there's always reason for hope. In Jesus' name, amen.